Don't we love our, our kids' ministry and our kids? And um, man, we can learn something as well from that, right? So welcome to our Christmas service. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen. I am privileged to serve as one of the leaders here. And I'm also privileged to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. And for those of you who haven't been journeying with us as a church, you, you're joining us, you're joining us online, you're visiting family and friends from Riverside. What we've been doing over the course of the last month is a series called Love Came Down. And the central kind of picture theme of this idea is the ladder that you see behind us. And something we often say here at Riverside is that God didn't expect us to climb the ladder to Him. He didn't expect us to somehow, step by step, climb the ladder of holiness and righteousness and worthiness. And so somehow to try and attain salvation by our own merit. Rather, our God came down the ladder to us. Love came down. And so over the course of December, we've been looking at a number of angles with regards to what this means. And so a brief recap for all of us. In the first week, we looked at the idea that love came down to identify with us. That God left heaven in order to fully identify with the human condition and all that that means. That we have a high priest who has experienced all the tempting and the testing that we have been through. And so there's nothing that you're experiencing this post-COVID Christmas season that God can't identify with you in. And then the next week, we looked at this idea that so much of our culture are saying, listen, we've got science, therefore we can't believe in miracles, therefore we can't believe in Christmas. And we looked at the idea that science doesn't have to be the reason you don't believe in Christmas. And that miracles are plausible, and therefore the Christmas miracle is plausible. And then last week, Craig helped us understand that love came down to be with us. And Jesus said something very poignant. He said, when you look at me, you see the Father. And so Jesus came down the ladder to reveal the Father to us. So that when we see Jesus, and when we're confused about the nature of God, we see clarity in Jesus. And Craig just helped us look at the ministry and the character and the nature of Jesus, all revealing the Father to us, which brings us to this weekend's messages. You know, for those of you who are into kind of the Marvel, DC universe and all the movies that have been going on um, recently, but also for the years to come, well, one of the angles that has been kind of growing over the last few movies has been the angle of origin stories. You see, not only do we want to know about the superhero and their great feats and accomplishments and victories and challenging the dark superheroes, we want to know how did they get there? What led them to this point? What was it like growing up as the superhero? And so I'm going to reveal my age to you with a reference to the 2000 and 
to Spider-Man. Some of you weren't here then, but if you've watched the movie, how can we ever forget that scene where Tobey Maguire, who's playing Peter Parker, he's the school photographer, and they're in that uh, museum or whatever, and um, he's taking photographs of Kirsten Dunst, and the spider comes down from the ceiling to bite his hand. And that's such a powerful moment because we know that's the origin story of Spider-Man. That's how Peter Parker, just an ordinary human being, became a superhero. But this wasn't given to us like this data. Oh, one day he was bitten by a spider. We were given a story. We were given something three-dimensional. But not only did we want to know, well, how did he become Spider-Man? We also want to know, but what kind of family did he come from? What was it like to be pre-Spider-Man Peter Parker? What kind of home did he grow up in? Now, for those of you who aren't connecting with this at all, maybe you can connect with this because not only is it in the DC and the Marvel world that we love these origin stories, but there is a reason why some of the top-selling books are biographies and autobiographies of great people. You see, not only do we want to know, for example, who Hitler was, what he did, but we want to know, how did he get there? What was baby Hitler like? What was it like growing up in the Hitler household? We want to know that story. One of the, most, uh, one of the biggest selling books is the biography on Steve Jobs. Someone who has shaped so much of our kind of tech reality at the moment. Yes, he's a great man, but how did he get there? What kind of journey did he have growing up? What was he like as a baby? And here's why these origin stories are so important. Many times we know the great things these people have done, but we know without the origin story, we don't get these great stories. The origin story enables all other stories, including the great ones. And so this Christmas morning, I want to just put to you that we're celebrating the origin story of Jesus Christ. Now, just to be crystal clear, we don't believe that Jesus came into existence magically 2,000 years ago. We as Christians believe that He is the eternal divine Son of God who always has been. In fact, the book of John and the book of Colossians chapter 1 tells us that creation was created through Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus, is presently held together by Jesus. So when I talk about Christmas being the origin story, we're talking about the unique chapter where the divine eternal Son of God took on human flesh, where love came down into our world and thus enabled all other stories, including the great stories, to follow. And so today we're going to be talking about how love came down to save us. We're going to be looking at how the origin story connects to the great story of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be reading together from Matthew chapter 1. It is a very famous, let's call it the origin story about Jesus. We actually read it two weeks ago. It's a story that we've heard so many times. But I want to highlight something to you as we get there. But let's read together 
from Matthew 1 verses 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And I'm going to stop there for now. But even in these verses, we've got all of the key ingredients for a good old Christmas story. We've got Mary being conceived by the Holy Spirit. We've got Joseph the Father. We've got angels and dreams and visions and prophecies. Jesus coming into this world. But there is a section here that I think we miss out on that connects the beginnings of Jesus to the rest of his life. And that is where I stop verse 21, which says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. We're going to come back to that name in a second. And here's what I want you to focus on. Because, here's why all of this is happening. Here's why love came down. Because, he will save his people from their sins. Now, in my Bible, when I get to this word Jesus, there's a small little C which points me to the bottom of my page. And I just want to talk about that for a second. You see, the name Jesus was a very popular name in Judaism in the first century for a very specific reason. It was loaded with meaning. You see, if you had to somehow go back in time, despite the fact that Jesus was a very popular name, and you had to just start running around calling for a Jesus, no one would answer you. And the reason is, sorry for the little Greek and Hebrew lesson here. I'll keep it short, I promise. But uh, Jesus is the anglicized or the English pronunciation of the Greek name Jesus. You see, the Roman Empire spoke Greek. And so a lot of these little Jewish boys would have responded to Jesus, except in Jesus' case, he was actually Hebrew. And while they would have often spoken Greek, they would have more often spoken Hebrew. And so his Hebrew name is Yeshua, which is the shortened version of the Old Testament name for Joshua. Now I'm taking you on this journey for a reason. It says here, He's going to be given this name, Jesus, because there's a reason he's given this name that connects to Joshua. You see, in the Old Testament, Joshua was the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. Moses was the one that God used to lead his people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt towards the promised land. And because of their rebellion and disbelief, there was 40 years of wandering around the Sinai Peninsula. But then God raised up Joshua. And Joshua was the one who led them into the promised 
land. And that's the loud amen. That's the answer to prayer. Suddenly God's promises are coming true. And everyone lived this happy ever after, laughter, yes, ending. No. You see, this kingdom that was supposed to be united was divided. Then the northern and the kingdom, northern and southern kingdom, they had some good kings, but mostly they had bad kings. And I'm not just talking about a ruler they didn't like, but kings that led them into injustice, kings that led them into idolatry, and not just about worshiping the wrong gods, but some of the kings even uh, sacrificed their own sons to foreign gods. And God sends prophets over hundreds of years to come and call his people back to his first plan for them. But they refused to listen. And so they became an unjust nation, an unrighteous nation, an idolatrous nation, until God took them out of the promised land into exile. And so as God's people were sitting in exile and some of the prophets and some of the Jewish thinkers we're trying to, how did we get here? We've got God's promises, but here we are, kicked out of the promised land. They started to realize we need a new Joshua. We need a greater and a truer Joshua. One that is going to lead us into the greater and the truer kingdom of God. You see, the problem with the original story was this. And this wasn't on Joshua, this was on the Israelites, is that they went into this promised land, this gift from God, but they took their sin with them. And so they realized, yes, we need a greater and a truer Joshua to lead us into the greater and the truer kingdom, but a Joshua who can deal with our sin. And that is what's going on here in verse 21, he'll be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Just a number of verses later, I'm not going to read them, but we know the verse talks about Jesus is also going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God wasn't just going to send another prophet. This greater and this truer Joshua was going to be God himself. He was the new Joshua. He was going to lead us into the new kingdom and deal with our sins. Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, has this origin story and, and the reason for the origin story and the, and the greatest stories of victory and battle in mind when he gives us this verse in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world, that's Christmas. Why? To save sinners. And that's Easter. And here again we see that Christmas is the ultimate origin story of all other stories. Even the way the gospel authors tell the story kind of highlights this. Most of what we know about Christmas and the birth of Jesus come to us from the gospels of Matthew and Luke, and if you look at those narratives, they occupy about a page, page and a half in your Bibles. Mark completely glosses over it, but every single one of the Gospels, the final week of Jesus leading up to his death and his resurrection occupies up to one third 
of the Gospels. Now, this is not to say that Christmas is not important. In fact, Christmas is beautiful and powerful to show us the kind of God that is on display here. For example, Jesus wasn't born in Rome amongst the powerful of the day. Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem, the sense of gravity for Judaism of the day. Jesus was born in a backwater armpit town to a working class family. And as we saw in the video early, surrounded by farm animals. This is the kind of God who love came down to identify with us. And Christmas is so powerful to explain that to us. But Christmas also is the opening chapter of the story of how Jesus was going to be the new Joshua. How God was going to bring his kingdom down to earth in this King Jesus. How this king was going to eventually defeat sin so that you and I can access his kingdom in a brand new and powerful way. So the incarnation of Christmas makes everything else in the New Testament possible. See, when we look at the Christmas cards, it's always a picture of this cute, usually white, which is wrong, baby. We love baby Jesus. But you know, especially for those of you who've had children, just cast your mind back to those early days. Think about your child's hands. So soft and pink, inarticulate, can't hold a pen or anything. Those hands were created to have nails driven through them on the cross. Think about that little baby lying on his back, kicking his cute little feet into the air. Can't even hold his own body weight. Those feet were one day going to carry Jesus up a dusty hill and be nailed to a cross and those feet were going to carry the burden of the sins of the world. Think about that cute little baby face. I often remember when our kids were that little small babies, their fine little hair and they've got that baby boy smell. That head was going to have a crown of thorns punched through it. That cute little soft, fragile baby's body covered with his mother's and father's kisses was going to be scourged and ripped apart and have a spear shoved into its side. Please don't leave baby Jesus at Christmas. Rather recognize how Jesus came into the world, Christmas, to save sinners Easter. We can't leave Christmas at Christmas. Here's what we too often do. And we even do it here as a church and we decorate our stage. We put up the Christmas tree. We put up the decorations. We spend way too many on presents, too much money on presents. We eat way too much food. We have a resting day on the 26th and then we pack everything away and forget about everything that is Christmas. When what we need to do is understand how this is a zoomed-in story that makes all other stories possible. You see, if God did not take on human flesh, we are still dead in our sins. If the Christmas story is left alone, there is no salvation if all we have is the Christmas story. 
So I'm inviting you to see how the Christmas story opens up all the other chapters of what God did for us in and through Jesus Christ. And I know this is heavy stuff, and I'm not trying to put a damper on your Christmas spirits. But I want to apply this to us. You see, we don't just need Christmas. We need the whole story. And if all we have is Christmas, we've missed out on the reason. According to Matthew 1.21, according to that verse in 1 Timothy, we miss out on the reason that Jesus did this in the first place. On the reason love came down. But as I start moving to wrap up, this is not just an idea that we think about and say amen. This is deeply personal. If we think about Christmas and the incarnation and this opening story of Jesus' life, and if we think about all we've covered in this last month, love came down to identify with you. Your pain. Your struggles. The way you've been sinned against and even your own sins that Jesus bore on your behalf. Love came down to demonstrate the miraculous present power of God breaking into this natural world so that you can see the reality of God. Love came down so that the Father could be revealed to you so that you can look at Jesus and know that you're seeing the Father in heaven. And to go to today's message, love came down to save you. And so if you're already a Christian here or you're watching online, before we get into the frenzy of the rest of the day, I just want to call you to put all of that aside and reorientate and refocus your faith on this God who acted in this way. Recognizing the beauty and the power of this origin story of love coming down, not requiring me to somehow self-elevate myself to heaven. God did it on my behalf and then he lived the life that I couldn't live and then he died my death in my place so that I could enter the truer and the better kingdom of God. Just focus your heart and your attention on that. But maybe there's someone here or someone watching online for whom this is brand new. You would not describe yourself as religious in any way. You would not describe yourself even as a Christian. Or maybe you've kind of gone through some of the ropes of Christian things without ever placing your trust in Jesus. And so I don't want to leave you thinking, well, that was an interesting sermon. I want to leave you with the challenge, are you going to trust this God? Are you going to put the full body weight of your life and your hopes and your dreams and your failures and your sin and your eternity on this Jesus? Understanding now what you know now about why He came. And so as the band comes up, I'm going to pray for all of us that we all grow in faith. 
this Christmas. Yes, Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. You chose to come into this world knowing why you were coming, knowing it wasn't so that once a year we could have a big party and eat way too much food. You came into this world to save us and do for us what no other prophets, no other king could ever do for us. You took on my human condition. You took on my sin and my failure. And Christmas is where it all started, but it all points forward to the rest of your story, Jesus. I pray that even now as our hearts and minds are focused on this truth, there is a greater joy, a greater clarity, a greater sense of my purpose and my existence. I pray for anyone for whom this is really the first time that they're even considering trusting you, Jesus, giving up their own agenda for yours. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you are applying your word deep into our hearts and that we are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. The salvation that you give us in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe as a response, we're gonna sing a song. It's got a familiar tune with just some more Christmas-orientated lyrics. Let the song be a song of response to our God. Let's stand and sing. You were the child born in a manger sent from God
Blessed and a happy Christmas. If you're not running off, join us for a cup of tea, coffee, and a brownie. And don't forget to get a decoration that's going to remind you of all that you've celebrated today. God bless you. Amen.